Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. Today, Sergio Galvis, head of SNC's Latin America practice, will discuss the second edition of the FCPA Resource Guide, and in particular, its M&A and deal-making implications. This serves as a reminder of the importance of thoughtful due diligence on compliance matters by prospective acquirers. As those of you involved in M&A know, corruption and compliance-related matters what we commonly refer to as FCPA issues, play an important role in cross-border deal-making. Not just because they continue to be a focus of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the U.S. Department of Justice, but also because numerous other countries have intensified their own anti-corruption efforts. For this reason, the release this past summer by the U.S. SEC and DOJ of a second edition of the FCPA Resource Guide is timely. So let's talk about it today. A few questions that I'm going to post and then address. What is the impact of the second edition of the FCPA resource guide at a general level? For M&A, it reinforces two important aspects of the FCPA. One, an acquirer of a company acquires that company's liabilities, including its FCPA liabilities. Two, but if the acquirer conducts appropriate due diligence, brings the issues to the U.S. regulator's attention through voluntary disclosure, and implements an effective compliance program, the likelihood of an enforcement action may be decreased. The resource guide states, in relevant part, in a significant number of instances, DOJ and SEC have declined to take action against companies that voluntarily disclosed and remediated conduct and cooperated with DOJ and SEC in the merger and acquisition context. Resource Guide goes on to say, DOJ and SEC have taken action against successor companies only in limited circumstances, generally in cases involving egregious and sustained violations or where the successor company directly participated in the violation or failed to stop the misconduct from continuing after the acquisition. Why would a regulator law enforcement agency provide a declination? The resource guide reflects the evolution of thinking by U.S. regulators to set out concrete benefits for companies that find and self-report corruption problems. It appears that regulators have recognized that anti-corruption efforts are enhanced if companies with poor anti-corruption policies are acquired by companies with good ones, and this sort of activity should be encouraged. That's a positive step. At the same time, significant risks remain that would-be acquirers need to manage, and they need to manage them with the assistance of their financial and other advisors. An initial step in the M&A due diligence context is to design a work program that would anticipate the expectations the SEC and DOJ have regarding whether a given transaction is the sort that merits a declination. This is not easy, nor is it a given or certain thing. Okay, so how can acquirers identify potential issues? Due diligence where the FCPA is potentially at issue is even more critical than in a typical M&A deal. 
It is critical because it ensures that the target is properly valued in terms of the FCPA-related risks that it presents and the costs it may impose on the acquirer post-deal. Well, then how does one conduct due diligence geared towards the FCPA and corruption risks? The most effective FCPA due diligence, as I said earlier, is risk-based. One of our jobs as lawyers is to help clients through the factors that are relevant and organize an appropriately tailored due diligence exercise. In designing and implementing an FCPA due diligence program for M&A, relevant factors include, one, the robustness of the target's existing compliance programs. Clearly, the more robust, the lower the risk. Two, the characteristics of the particular jurisdiction or jurisdictions, countries, territories in which the target operates. Is the target operating in a high-risk place? Three, the type of business and how it interacts with government authorities. Obviously, it's critical to understand what customers are state-owned entities, but it's also important to understand how dependent the target is on government throughout its business. How concentrated is the business? Does it have numerous small government contracts? in which case the due diligence might focus more on patterns of contracting, or is it one or two critical contracts, in which case the focus might be more on those contracts and how they were obtained? How and why does the target use third-party agents? In compliance policies and pre-acquisition due diligence, agents must be a priority of review. Any outside agent whose role is opaque or whose compensation does not match the supposed work, among other potential concerns, merits further investigation. Are there early indications of potential red flags? Now, the resource guide confirms that if the target was not subject to the FCPA when it did the bad acts, the fact that it is then acquired by somebody who is subject to the FCPA doesn't give rise to liability for the acquirer for those past acts. There are two remaining issues, though, with respect to the legacy effects of bad acts that occurred when the actor was not subject to the FCPA. What about the target itself? Does it have some sort of springing liability when it is acquired by some someone that is subject to the FCPA just by virtue of the acquisition, where there are, for example, no subsequent bad acts. If the actions happen pre-application of the act and the acquirer has done a good job, as we were saying earlier, of putting in place robust compliance programs, training programs, and has taken the rem appropriate remediation actions, we have space to work with the client and where relevant, the government authorities to maximize the possibility of an acceptable outcome. Picking up on that theme, what is the impact of integration and remediation in the context of compliance and enforcement? An acquirer who efficiently and effectively incorporates the acquired business into its own robust training programs is less likely to face liability than is an acquirer who fails to integrate the subsidiary a business into its training programs. This can provide a significant challenge to acquirers operating across a large number of jurisdictions 
in a variety of languages along different business lines, and in the early integration processes, even across different technology platforms. It means that between signing and closing, acquirers have to give particular priority to planning out the rollout of compliance, training, and business integration. So that's integration. Now remediation. If the transaction is taking the acquirer into a new market, it may be particularly dependent on the existing management team to achieve the value proposition that justifies the transaction, the basis on which the board of the acquiring company approved the deal. A need for remediation may mean that the very management team on which the board and the company are counting may have to be replaced. All right, so is there a distinction then between risk-based due diligence in the commercial context of an M&A deal and undertaking a full-blown investigation when an issue has discovered a problem at a company that already is part of the business portfolio? Yes, there is a difference. The due diligence effort might identify certain red flags, but the deal context may not accommodate, may not allow for the possibility of running each of these fully to ground within the time frame contemplated by the transaction. And the resource guide, DOJ and SEC recognize this. In the M&A context, it is incumbent upon the advisors, the lawyers, the M&A lawyers working with litigators uh, to advise the client creatively in a deal-specific context in order to develop a responsible and commercially sensible set of solutions to isolate potential problems. This could involve dealing with contractual arrangements around representations and warranties and indemnities. It could also involve creating space for post signing and or closing review to determine whether in fact there is a potential transaction problem behind the red flag. Finally, mapping out the implementation of compliance and transaction uh, integration, as well as planning for the possibility of remediation in the event the problem is in fact identified, is critical. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.solcrom.com. Thank you.